So, um, yeah, as Steve said, um, last week, who, who was here last week? Let's not assume. So a few of us were here last week, and, um, and the rest of us will be here next week. It was good. We, um, we had this moment in worship, and it's, it's wonderful how God uses, you know, different people in different moments um, to do different things. Um, so I think it was Dean brought a word. Hey, Dean brought a word on the mic. And um, now, uh, Dean, he didn't have to do that, except that God suggested that he should. And, and so he obeyed. That was fantastic. So there was a moment of obedience from one of the guys in the church comes forward with a word, and his word involves, uh, his, involves a word, undignified. He's talking about you know, worshipping God's presence and, and it being for the children and not for the boring people. And, and there was a sense of something that actually really came in that moment that God was talking. Well, that's great, because we want God talking to us, don't we? And um, so Sam, who was leading the worship, he kind of pivots at that point and goes, okay, I'm picking up what Dean's saying. He pulls a song out of his back pocket that's not in the list and goes, I will dance, I will sing to you, and I'll become even more, and starts doing this undignified song, which was the word that had come through in the, in the prophetic thing. Well, but that was, that's okay, but then Tinas who tonight is serving on AV because he's a faithful saint who serves. But last week, he was doing river dance. He was up here and he broke something open. You see, what happens is there's obedience and then there's, a, and then there's obedience and there's pivot and there's change and then there's more obedience that breaks something open. And before you know it, all kinds of guys are dancing across the stage and when we've got little kids on the stage and there's people, I even saw a teeny tiny stage dive happen. It was quite a cute one. It was a kids' church stage dive, but it's still legit stage diving, and I think we should recognize that um, because it's important. You know, it's, it's a Josh Jen value that at some point in your life, you're going to be in a worship meeting where someone stage dives. Um, that's, that's key. Now, the thing is, that's awesome. Why is that awesome, though? Because there's no reason to believe that's awesome if you don't believe that's awesome. Uh, why is it great that church doesn't go as planned? Why is it great that worship involves jumping? Why is it great that someone who this week is doing AV, last week could start us all dancing? Why is that great? And um, we, we were chatting about this on Monday night. We got together, elders and some of the leaders, and we are just chatting and just going, you know, maybe we need to talk about this. Like, we, maybe we need to talk about actually this fundamental value that we have as a church, as believers in Jesus Christ, as people who want to serve him and worship him the way he wants to be worshipped because there is a, gay, a, a way that God wants to be worshipped. You know, he, he wants to be worshipped a certain way, so we want to do it the way he wants it done. Maybe we need to talk about this value that we have and then practice it. That's why I'm preaching first and we're doing whatever's going to happen later. Um, Mike said um, maybe a good title would just be, it doesn't have to be deep, he said. It doesn't have to be deep. You'll be pleased. Um, he said you could even just call it worship should be fun. Because that's like about as shallow a sermon title as we could possibly come up with in the moment. And so obviously uh, my heart rejected it. Um, but, you know, it does kind of set the mood of where I'm heading. Actually, I'm going to call this preach, What on Earth Excites Heaven? Because that's just so much better. <laughs> 
What on earth excites heaven? Do you ever feel like not worshipping? I mean, let's just, like, for the sake of absolute honesty, let's do an actual show of hands here. Does anyone here ever not feel like worshipping? I, I, I've been a worship leader. I'm a musician. I've been in the worship team. I'm currently in the worship team. I was playing all weekend at the Youth Equip. I am a worshipper, and I sometimes feel like not worshipping. Okay, so, you know, this is, this is our reality. Now, as I say, I'm a musician, so often if I'm on stage, I'm really into it. But I have to decide in my own heart, how much is me being into it because I'm loving being a musician and playing music? And how much of it is because I'm loving Jesus and loving worshipping him? Actually, that's quite a hard thing to navigate. And so for me, as someone who participates in a band, I'm going, I'm loving this. I mean, we had fun at the youth thing. I was asked to play keyboards, and I don't often get to really let all the stops out, you know, and use the weird sounds that are right at the back of the keyboard, you know. And, um, and Mike Joe Bear was just like, just don't be subtle. Just throw the kitchen sink at it. Just go for it, you know. So it was like someone said it was a bit like um, uh, Duran Duran or something. It was, it was kind of like it was, we're bringing the 80s back in terms of the synth keyboard worship. The thing is, like, yeah, like the weekend. It was the weekend. Um, so for me, worshipping while playing an instrument is a bit like, for some of you, if worship involved eating ice cream. How much more into worship would you be if worship was done by eating ice cream? Right, I see that hand. Do I see another hand? I see that hand. Okay, so right now you're thinking that's a good trade-off. If we could do worship the way we want to do it, we could pick the thing we love the most... And we could do that to worship God, and then worship would be awesome, wouldn't it? So some of you pick ice cream, some of you might pick, um, you know, sleeping. (laughs) You know, in ancient Ephesus, um, they had sex as worship. Whoa, that that escalated quickly. That took a turn, didn't it? Now, I'm just going to clarify, that wasn't Christian worship. Okay, that was pagans. But do you see where this goes? If we define worship by what we enjoy and then embrace the thing we enjoy as our form of worship, we're going down a slope and who knows where that ends. Okay, so we need to define our worship according to what God has required of us. So, so for me, if I'm playing an instrument, I'm enjoying it. That doesn't mean I'm enjoying worship. I might just be enjoying music. I posted a photo. Someone took a photo of me. I don't actually have many photos of me, oddly. I'm not asking. I'm just saying. Someone took a photo of me and then sent it to you. Yeah, thanks. Um, that's my better side. Um, which is the ear that doesn't have a point on it. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> I posted it on, on my social media because I'm ever so young and trendy. And, um, and uh, Steph commented, it's so cool that you look so happy. I was like... It, it is cool. I, I enjoy looking happy. It doesn't happen all the time, you know. Um, but again, like, was I happy because I was in worship? Or was I happy because I was jamming cool tunes on the keyboard? And, and like, enjoy, Asher was playing drums at like, the weekend. It was like, we just had a great time, you know. And, um, but maybe, you know, your happy place is, no, you found that thing where you're doing something you love for someone you love. Maybe that's how we define Worship, like I'm doing something I love for someone I love, and 
it's, it's not a great definition. Don't hold on to that. I'm just saying it. I'm just saying, but if for me as a, as a musician who loves to worship, maybe I could begin to believe that's true. That actually for me, worship is I love worshiping and I love Jesus. And this is just this sweet thing. It just really works. Um, but there are days I'm not in the band. Then I don't enjoy worship half as much. I'm just being honest. Because I want to play. So then, if I'm not in the band, is worship going to be as good? Not always. Um, what if they pick a song I don't like? What if I didn't have a good day? What if I don't feel like dancing when the old piano plays? I mean, like, it could be that I don't feel like dancing. I would say that probably 98% of my life, I don't feel like dancing. I'm just putting it out there. I'm being honest. I'm a slightly heavy fella, and dancing, you know... It's effort, you know, and you end up looking sweaty. <laughs> so there are days I don't feel like worshipping, I don't feel like singing, I don't enjoy the songs, I don't enjoy the musician playing, whatever's going on. I, I, get, I could get critical, I could get judgmental, I could then go, I don't even feel like dancing. And how does that impact on my ability to worship? What are the things I'm focusing on there? Well, I'm focusing on a whole bunch of things that actually has nothing to do with worship. These are preferential things. These are subjective things. These are things that, for me, might appear important. But actually, if I take it back to the Word, if I take it back to Jesus, if I take it back to what worship is meant to be, these are not things that matter. The thing that matters is that we get to worship Him. How about you? I mean... Maybe you're turning up and going, I'm so glad someone's being honest about worship like this because I come to church every week and honestly, the worst bit is the singing. Can I, can I see a raised hand for that one? I'm, I'm actually, I'm not going to ask. It's, it's harsh. I, I, I wouldn't out you like that. But I know you're here. <laughs> I, I know you're here um, because, you know, it, just statistically, it must be that some people prefer the preaching to the worship. Um, and... Um, that's okay. That, that's called being human. Like it's, it's natural for us to enjoy things and not enjoy things. But should that mean you don't do it? Like if, if we use that as our reason to not do it. If I use me being at church one week and not being in the band so it doesn't feel as fun because I'm not getting to play, if I use that as a reason to not give as much as if I was playing, then I'm measuring God's worth against my enjoyment. Does that make sense? I'm actually measuring my participation against the return I'm experiencing in pleasure. In fact, what I'm saying is it would be better if worship was accomplished through the eating of ice cream because then I could really worship God and give him the Jew that's worthy to his name. You see? And that's where we have to be so careful when it comes to preference, when it comes to these objective things or subjective things that cloud us. I was chatting to my nephew recently. I've got family in England. Um, and back in the 90s, now he's not that old, I am. Back in the 90s, my brother and I played in the worship team in the band. And we didn't know one of the conferences we played at was filmed. And just recently, <laughs> it's turned up on YouTube. Um, and, and people were sending it, to, you know, people from that era were sending it to each other. And we found this video. There's my brother in, like, my, my red suit jacket, because in those days we all wore suit and tie to church. He's wearing a tie. He's wearing a suit jacket. He's playing his bass. He's looking very serious with his hair cut like this. And, um, and it's epic. So, <laughs> so my nephew... 
he's watching this and he's just going, whoa. Oh, firstly, he can't believe we were ever looked that old that long ago. Because um, honestly, I think my brother looks a bit older than he looks now, certainly in terms of his dress sense. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not aged well. Um, the video, church videos from the 90s, it's like, wow. Um, but he made a comment. He said, why is it that the music you guys were playing then um, is so much more full of joy than what we play nowadays? I was like, sounds like I'm hearing myself. This is an echo chamber. Because it's true. Sometimes, actually, we shoot ourselves in the foot by singing sad songs and hoping to dance. You know, if your worship is, hello, darkness, my old friend, you're not going to reach that pinnacle of joy you are hoping to achieve during the worship. You know what I'm saying? So, so there, is, there is something to be said for picking the right song. Okay, so I'm just putting that there. But let's park that. Because most of us don't get to pick the songs. Most of us don't get to pick the songs. So, so yes, there's something to be said for picking the right song. But let's park that. And let's talk about us and how we participate in worship, and why, more to the point, why do we participate in worship? Now, it could be at this point, some of the smart ones amongst you are going, yes, but worship's meant to be a sacrifice. You know, we bring a sacrifice of praise, and so it's not about me, it's about God, it's not what I want, it's what he wants, and you're absolutely right. Um, but that's not like, the whole picture because it is relational worship is relational um, you know if you were married for example and served your wife beautifully but never felt that there was any benefit to being married like none I wouldn't say you have a best marriage I'm not saying you're doing the wrong thing because I think if you're married you should serve your wife even if there is no, like, feeling of benefiting from the marriage. All I'm saying is, if that was the state of your marriage, then, as they were advertising last week, there's opportunities for, <laughs> for various courses you can go on, and, and you can talk about that and, and try and move into a better place in your marriage. But for us, there is a sense in which worship is relational. It's relationship with God. And I want to sort of look at that. And I want to look at some of the reason, like the motive. What's the absolute base reason behind, like the lowest, if you break it down to its most basic level, why do we worship? And um, I'm going to look at some verses for that. Um, so in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah, um, some people say that Nehemiah was the shortest man in the Bible. It's not true. That was Bildad the Shuhite. He was smaller. Um, <laughs> But Nehemiah, um, he, um, we, we hear the story of how the Israelites came back from exile. Now, the Israelites um, had been bad. Say, ooh, they'd been bad. And so God had to send them into exile for 70 years. In fact, it was a little worse than I just made it sound. He basically got foreign nations to invade them, destroy their cities, kill their soldiers, slaughter them, and then whoever was left got exiled into foreign nations. So it really was quite bad. Um, but it was temporary. 
Because God saw the people of God as a people. He, didn't, he wasn't just looking at individuals. And so his passion, his heart, his desire for them was as a people. And so as a people, he brought them back. And so although some had died and some had been destroyed, he brought the people back. And, and so the story of Nehemiah, we, we see some of this return. And they begin returning to the land. Nehemiah works for the king of Persia in a place called Susa, which is modern-day Iran. And he... Um, actually chats to the king, he gets sent with letters that allow him to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, the, the um, buildings there, also to get wood from the king's forests to do this. So he's actually getting resources and he's getting permission to do this rebuilding, which is fantastic. And, and so they begin to do this, and there's a lot of opposition, and you can read it to see how that all plays out. But in the end, they get the walls finished. And so they have this moment of coming together. They finished the walls. And so in celebration, they read from the scriptures. And everyone just starts getting really miserable. <laughs> because when you read the Bible, there is a good chance you will get really miserable. Because the Bible tells us God's unbelievably high standard for how he expects us to behave. And if you're a realist, you'll understand there is no way you will ever match up to that. And so as they're reading the scriptures, in this moment, everyone's come together. And remember, most of the buildings inside the wall haven't been built back yet. So they kind of stood in these open, like, bombsite areas. And they're reading the word, and they're explaining it to the people. And the people are going, the more you explain it, the worse I feel. And they're literally crying. Like, as they're reading the Bible, they're just crying. And they're going, this is just the worst. And... I mean, maybe you understand that. Maybe when you heard the gospel, it had that effect on you. When you realized that actually there was a big problem that you couldn't fix. Um, but then the thing is with the gospel and the thing is what happened with them is there's a moment where actually when you understand it on another level, it changes. And what happened here was... Um, the Israelites, they've rebuilt the walls. They thought they've pleased God. They hear the law. They realize they're so far from being in a place where they could have pleased God. But they, they begin to weep and mourn. Nehemiah 8, verse 9, um, says, So Nehemiah was the governor, Ezra the priest, the scribes, the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Verse 10, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It, it's this interesting thing. When they hear the word of the Lord, they weep. But actually the appropriate response is to rejoice. And this is very much like the gospel. Because what is the gospel? Well, it's bad news before it's good news. I mean, gospel means good news. But the good news is the second half. The first half is actually bad news. When we really understand the gospel, we understand that there is a problem between us and God. That problem is a problem we cannot fix. God is holy. And we are sinful. Holy means set apart, always good, always doing the right thing. And we are basically the opposite of that. And so we can never be with God. 
And to not be with God is the worst possible thing. If we try to be good, the Bible says literally us trying to be good is like used feminine hygiene products. It's filthy rags. It's like gross. So you trying to be good in God's eyes is gross. This is a problem we cannot fix. And this is the gospel. So, so when we talk about reading the Bible and crying, <laughs> yeah, very much. Like when we see what it is that God needs from us and that we cannot ever please him or give him what he needs, then yes, we weep. But the gospel doesn't end there. And that's the beautiful thing with the gospel. That's the thing they began to realize. There's this joy, actually, because what were they celebrating? They were celebrating that actually they'd come out of captivity. They'd come out of a place of bondage. They'd come out of a place of punishment. They'd come into a place that had been given to them, a place where they could have a secure wall around them again, where they could begin to build up instead of break down, a place where they could begin to see the goodness and the blessing of God in a place they called their own. In the same way, for us, when we respond to the gospel, when we understand that, yes, we are as bad as we can possibly be, and there is nothing we can do to solve that. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his unfailing love, sent his son Jesus to die for us. That when we were full of sin, unspeakably evil and bad, God still loved us enough to send his son to die for us so that we could be made, and this is unthinkably crazy, we could be made righteous. We could be made right with God. Righteous just means that we're right with God. That When God looks at us, instead of saying, gross, he says, beautiful. Now that is what turned it for them. And really, as I was thinking more and more about worship, I was thinking, you know, that's what turns it for us too. Because yes, we can praise God because he's big or because he made everything. And those are good reasons to praise God. And, and the Bible has Psalms that talk about those things. We can talk about him because he controls the weather. And, and that is awesome. But God could be big, awesome, have created everything and control the weather and you could still go to hell because that is who God is and he will always be that with or without you but there's something of relationship that comes into worship when I understand that I was going to hell and now I'm not because of Jesus that is like that is different to just singing God is big because he made a mountain and he's bigger than the mountain he made. Do you see? Because actually there's something of, now it's not just I'm doing something I love for someone I love, but actually what I'm experiencing is actually the thing that someone who loves me did for me. That actually there's a sense of gratitude. The Bible talks about entering his gates with thanksgiving. Actually, this point of starting off to come into the presence of God, to actually come into his presence with thanksgiving, because in my mind is this thought that I was going to hell, but now I'm not. And that is what kicks us into this greater sense of worship. In Revelation 5, verse 9, they, they still sing about this, even in heaven. He says, 
Um, they're, they're worshiping the Lamb and they sing a new song. They say, you are worthy. And there's scrolls and things happening. They're talking about that. He says, because you were slain. This is talking to Jesus, the Lamb of God. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, even in the eternity of heaven. They're going to be worshiping God for this reason. Because he purchased men from into. He snatched from hell and brought into relationship with God. He took from darkness, brought into light. With his blood, with his own blood, he gave up the thing that was his own life. He gave himself and brought us through. And for me, this has, has been just like an amazing thing. Psalm 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sins are covered. For myself, I, I know um, some of you have been around a little while, know my own story the last 20 months or so. Um, I was an elder in the church. I confessed that there was sin in my life, and I had to step down because you, know, you, you need to be above reproach as, a, as an elder in the church. And um, when you step down like that, there's no guarantee that you're ever coming back. Um, you, you just do what you must do, and you need to get before God. And, and if you choose to get before God, and if you choose to submit yourself to the process, then maybe you come back. But it's, it's, it's an interesting road. And Dan actually spoke a bit about it last week as well when he was speaking. He'd been through a very similar journey. Um, we both stepped down at the same time. We actually both came back on at the same time. Um, and so there's this journey you're on of realizing just how broken and hideous you are. Because you imagine you're an elder in the church. I mean, everyone's telling you you're doing all right most of the time. <laughs> you know, and you could start to believe that. And I know for myself, I did. I fell into that trap of believing I was as good as everyone thought. And then I could make excuses for myself. And I could begin to uh, allow myself in areas to sin and, and actually go, ah, but it's all right because, you know, everyone says I'm okay. But they don't know because I'm not confessing the sin. So then you come to this moment of confessing sin and now you are confronted with just how hideous you are. That actually there's something deep inside you that's broken and that God needs to fix because actually you can't make it right yourself. And that's the process of repentance. That's why it says repent your sins, confess your sins one to another so that others can help you come through and they can be God's hands and feet and bring you into wholeness and, and something new. Um, and so, I mean, obviously there's a, a lot of story there, a lot of story. But came to the moment, conversations were had and they said, are you ready come back on and we prayed about it and we you know we we consulted with various people who are literally fathers to us or um, sort of spiritually fathers to us and um, it seemed that the time was right and so there was a date set and it's like this is it you, you can come back onto eldership that day I remember that morning picking out a black shirt and I don't mean to sound dramatic but I honestly felt like I'm going to my funeral now, this is not a comment on you <laughs> in terms of me coming onto eldership, like, in terms of a congregation. All I mean is, I know that, whereas before maybe I had thought that eldership was some kind of joyful privilege and some kind of like, you know, oh, you're moving up through the ranks. What I'd realized in this year and a half of soul searching and stuff is that actually it's the ultimate dying. 
It's the ultimate death. It's to, it's to lay your life down. It's to become uh, a drink offering poured out. It's, it's to serve, like the, the, to become the least. You know, the, the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And, um, and so it was really more just a, a personal consideration of actually this is dying. If you're going to do this, this is dying. And I remember picking a black shirt and actually feeling quite heavy going to that meeting. And of course, at the meeting, there's a bunch of guys coming on eldership for the first time. <laughs> they don't know what has got coming to them. <laughs> they don't know what they're walking into. They're all really happy. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say anything to spoil it. <laughs> but, but this is the moment, you know, and the worship happens, and the worship's cool. You know, it's great. It's whatever. But I'm just feeling this heaviness. And in the worship, um, God just dropped a scripture in my heart. And he said... Um, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents who's sin, um, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And I was like, okay, cool, that's kind of encouraging, I get it. I thought I did. And then as we stood there and then worship ends, we sit down and then Andrew starts to read out names. And he reads out all the names of the guys who are going to be brought on as elders for the first time. And there is a suitable amount of rejoicing. Because it is a good thing. It's, you know, he desires to be an elder, he desires a noble task, and it's great to see guys stepping up and, and moving into that area. And then there was a few of us who were being brought back on, having stepped off for various reasons. And he read the first name of someone who was coming back on. And I could hear there was just a different energy in the room. It was just louder. It was like there was this cheering. And then they, re they read our names and it was getting louder. And then they read um, Dan's name, and it was just getting louder still. And I was just, and that verse came back to me. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who comes to her. And I was just like, I don't understand this. I just don't understand it. But it's an amazing thing that actually the gospel is our reason to celebrate. The gospel is our reason to worship. The gospel is our reason to shit, just to, to shout and to cheer and to, and to rejoice and to celebrate because, oh my goodness, a sinner came to repentance. That's what on earth excites heaven. <laughs> There's more rejoicing in heaven over a sinner who repents and that then should inform how we approach worship. That that moment of salvation, the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the Lamb of God, these things should excite us. These should, things should stir us. I know for me, I've had a different appreciation for the Lamb of God. I've had a different appreciation for the blood of Jesus. I am still not perfect. I'm still broken. I'm still working through my issues. But God has been good and God has been faithful. And so like the people before Nehemiah, they're going, man, we've come this far, but there's so far to go. And he says, don't weep, rejoice. And for us, when we come to God, sometimes we might feel disqualified because however far we come, we know we haven't come far enough. And we cut ourselves off from the possibility of throwing ourselves into worship in the way that we should. Maybe. We cut ourselves from worship because of self-righteousness. I changed Carl beforehand and he said, there's something of self-righteousness sometimes that would actually stop us from worshiping as we should because we feel we're just fine, thank you. I remember that story in the, Jesus tells of the, the, the two guys in the temple 
And the one is a Pharisee. He stands there and he's looking and he can see this tax collector. And the tax collector is worshipping face down, pretty much beating himself up for his whole life and just going, I'm useless. And, and the tax collector, seeing that kind of worship, his response is, thank God I'm not like him. And if anything, the last 20 months has told me is, no. If I was like him, I'd be going places. Man, I was worse than him, you know? Like Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, says, I'm the chief of sinners. You think, like, until we get that in our heads, until we understand how far we are from God's perfection, how it's only the blood of Jesus that's going to get us there, that, then we, we don't really understand that thing. And so it is, Jazz told me a quote from Jonathan Stanfield in the week, um, which I thought was great. He, apparently on the Isle of Man, Jonathan is very fond of saying, it's amazing grace, tell your face. Um, <laughs> which is a way of just saying like, the reason we have to smile is not that everything is going right. It's that Jesus has already died for you. The reason we have to rejoice is not that everything feels awesome, like the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. Go sports. Um, that is not our reason to celebrate. The reason we have to celebrate is that God is awesome. God gave his son for us. He laid down his life for us. We, in our brokenness and our sin, he reached in. He, he, he stooped down, he grabbed a hold of us, and he pulled us. The psalmist says he pulled us out of the miry clay. You remember, I remember I was very little, and we went for a walk around this lake. They have these hammer ponds in, near Horsham, and the hammer ponds, they have a high lake and a low lake, and the water running through turns a wheel that operated the hammers for the iron forges. They call them the hammer ponds, but now they're kind of not in use anymore, so they're not looked after and maintained. And they have these little decks that went out, but often the planks were broken. And so we would run to jump onto the deck. And that's fine when you're running from a shore because there's a good run-up. Then you land on the deck and then you realize, I don't have a run-up to jump back. <laughs> and so as I'm running, like, I've got like three steps to make the leap. And I was always kind of this shape. And so gravity um, was not my friend. I run... I jump, it's a hit and a miss. I land in the middle between the jetty and the shore. And at that point, it isn't water, it's mud. And it's deep mud. The kind of deep mud that when my father finally pulled me out, my boots were still in it <laughs> and were starting to disappear out of sight. <laughs> the psalmist says, you rescued me from the miry clay. You know, when you're sinking, you're sinking, and there's nothing you can do to get yourself out. And your father has to come and go, here you go, come on, pull. And he's out, like Pooh Bear stuck in a rabbit hole. It's that kind and you're free. That's what God did for us. We couldn't rescue ourselves. We were just stuck in the mud. We were just helpless and hopeless. God pulled us free. God is the one who did that for us. And that's why the psalmist can say, Psalm 16, in your presence there's fullness of joy. Because it is, there's fullness of joy 
in his presence. Fullness of joy because he's not just pulled us out and stuck us on the bank and said, well, you should be fine now, and he's walked off in this direction, and we've walked off in that direction. But because actually having pulled us out of the mud, he then says, now walk with me. And we walk with him. And he holds us. And the next time we think about jumping on a jetty, he goes, do you remember what happened last time? Maybe don't. And he walks with us. And so having pulled us out of the mud, he also helps us not fall back in the mud because he's a good God and he's a good father and he loves us. And, and for me, like tonight, we're talking about worship. We're talking about why would we worship. For me, these are, these are the reasons right now that I worship. It's not an exhaustive preach. It might have been exhausting. It's not exhaustive. It doesn't cover everything. There are other reasons to love God. There's other reasons to worship Jesus. But I think this is a good place to start. And for us, maybe we haven't really understood the gospel and therefore we haven't really understood worship. Because if we really understand the gospel, we will worship. I know for myself, on those Sundays when I don't feel like it, there's still a good reason. When they pick a song and I'm like, ah. or when there's a guy in the band who's just not getting it right, or there's someone singing and, it's, and you're like, ah. I have to remember that none of that matters. The thing that matters is the blood of Jesus that pulled me out of the mud, that set my feet on the rock, and hugged me and walked with an arm around me as I walked forward. That's the thing that gets me to stand up. That's the thing that gets me to dance when I don't feel like dancing, when gravity is against me and everything says sit down. You dance because he set your feet on a rock. You dance because of his goodness. Worship guys can come up and plug in and get themselves sorted. I think we're going to transition presently, but I do want to just present an opportunity for us because you could be here today and you're saying, I actually, that thing of salvation that you've spoken about, I've never experienced it the way you're talking about. I feel like there isn't, um, I haven't had that experience of knowing that my sins are forgiven. I haven't had that experience of feeling like I've been pulled out of the mud, of the situation that I find myself in, that stuckness, that I'm experiencing that, that horrible sense of self-loathing or whatever it is that you're experiencing. And I want to provide an opportunity. So let's close our eyes. I don't want folks looking around at this point. But... Um, if something I spoke about resonated with you and you say, I want to experience that. I want to know what it means to actually be saved by God. The Bible tells us in the book of John, it says that God sent Jesus. It says, to as many as received him, who called on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so tonight... You could become a child of God. It may be you are not right now, but you can become that by receiving Jesus and what he's done for you. As I said, Jesus came and died in our place. He died for us. On our own, we can't fix the problem, but Jesus came and gave his life to fix the problem. And when we receive that, when we say thank you for that, and we ask God to fill us with his life, he does that. And he makes us new. So if you're here this evening and saying, I, I don't know that I've done that. I don't know that I've experienced a, 
the, the saving power of God in my life. I still feel like I'm stuck. I still feel like I need help. Then I'd love you just to raise your hand where you are. I would love to pray with you this evening. Thank you. Is there anyone else? So that's me this evening. I want to pray that prayer. Maybe you're praying it first time. Maybe it's not your first time. Maybe you've prayed before, but you feel like it doesn't... You haven't experienced it at this point. Let's pray together. And if you know and love Jesus, then you can pray this with me. Say, Father God, Thank you for sending Jesus to fix what I cannot fix. Thank you, Jesus died for my sin. He took my sins from me. And now I ask, Father God, that you would take my sins and give me your righteousness. I receive Jesus as my Lord as my God, as my Savior. I ask to work your salvation in me. Rescue me. Hold me. Walk with me. Thank you, Jesus. I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can know you, that I can hear your voice. I can worship you with energy and passion. Thank you, Jesus. So some of the stuff that was coming out through the prayer meeting and uh, a picture that the Lord gave me before church as I was just praying in a couple of things, but it was... And maybe this is for all of us, or maybe it's for a few of you, or maybe it's just for one person. And I felt the Lord give me a picture of a, of a ship, or, or of, a, of a sail yacht, actually. And the sails were up, and everything was ready to go. And uh, it was, many of you know, sail, a lot of sailboats have a little motor at the back. And it was just chugging along, you know, it was moving forward. Um, but it wasn't operating in the way that a sailboat should work. And it was just coasting along with a little engine and covering ground, but not really uh, moving in the way that it should. And Revelations 2, um, from verse 3, it says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. You know, we're kind of doing the right things, the religious things, the things we should be doing as Christians. And then the scripture says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works as you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And then I felt the Lord say, you know, how does wind work? So, and we know that the way that winds work, what is it going to take to get that boat moving in the way and sailing in the way that God had designed it, which is perhaps your life. And it's simply this, wind moves from a high pressure to a low pressure. 
And I felt the Lord saying that many of us have perhaps just been chugging along in our Christian lives in this, this thing of worship. And, and we've been doing the religious stuff and we've been going through the motions. And, but as we humble ourselves and we exalt Him, the Holy Spirit comes. And many times the Scripture refers to the Holy Spirit as being like a wind. And I really felt the Lord saying, you know, that every, all of us can be in this meeting, but, but the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that we experience to the measure at which our hearts are positioned. And as we position our hearts in that low place, as a low pressure, Lord, I am, like we heard tonight, Lord, I realize, you know, I've been saved for 35 years. And again, I'm always just reminded, Lord, <laughs> I'm still nothing compared to who you are. And I still have that feeling of throwing down myself on the floor and saying, Lord, you are, you are God and I'm not. And I pray that as, even as we go into this time of praise and worship, that we take that posture and say, many of you have uh, also this thing of just coals, just, it came through the prayer meeting, these embers and coals, and it's just, it's just there, but it's not really burning and firing. And I really believe that as we posture ourselves low and we exalt Him, the wind of the Holy Spirit is going to blow over us and our heart is going to fan into flame that passion and that worship for Him. And you're going to become unstuck in that place of just chugging along. So will you do that tonight as we worship? Will you pass your heart and say, Lord, I'm taking all the walls in there. You lay it down. Say, Lord, maybe your prayer should be this. Lord, whatever you want me to do tonight, as undignified as it may be, I will do it. And I believe that God is going to break something. He's going to dislodge you from being stuck in a place in your life and that boat, that sail out is going to sail into everything that God has for you. Maybe it's tonight that you need to do that. Amen. So can we stand? Can we come to the front? Do something different tonight. I was in, I thought we were going to move the chairs tonight. Yeah. Shall we take the first three rows of chairs and just scoot them back? <laughs>